Edge. A three. Good! You can't be serious with that shot. Thomas, shake, crossover, step back. And we welcome you into the first ever episode of the Just College Hoops podcast, the brand new podcast, and we are starting it on March 1st. How fitting. Tim Leonard, Brian McLaughlin here with you, and what a time to start a college basketball podcast. What a weekend we're coming off last week. It is all systems go. Best time of the year. Best month of the year is finally here. You said it, Tim. I mean, fired up to be starting this podcast with you. Uh, I, I'm thrilled that it's on March 1st as we sit down and record right now this morning actually last night as I was going to bed I, I set my alarm clock this morning and the theme song of CBS and March Madness was my alarm to wake <laughs> up to this morning just had to get myself going a little bit heard that jumped right out of bed ready to go ready to talk some college hoops yeah and shout out to everyone working behind the scenes on our intro that got me fired up when I heard that uh, for the mm -hmm. first time a couple weeks ago just the cardiac Kemba all the right calls in there Isaiah Thomas so oh. if you're New to the pod, well, I guess you are new to the podcast because this is the very first episode, but if you're new to maybe kind of the whole Just Baseball scene and everything, or if you came over from Just Baseball, thank you. It's awesome to be here with Brian, who's a good friend of mine. We love talking college hoops, just kind of shooting the shit no matter what. And now we get a mic in front of us and we get to break down some of the biggest moments at the best time because conference tournaments are revving up here and you know, it doesn't really matter to us what league it is. As long as college basketball is on our TV screens, we're happy people. Yeah, no doubt about it, Tim. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Great to I, – I really, I'm excited. This is going to be kind of therapeutic for me. I have somewhere to dump all my, my random college basketball thoughts instead of texting them out to a variety of different college basketball fans. I can finally give my Penn State basketball takes about whether they should or should not have a chance to make the big dance. I can finally talk Ivy League hoops and how they dominate Friday nights. I mean, this is perfect for people like us who I think need an outlet really more than anything to just get our thoughts out there, make make some jokes along the way, and no better time to do it than right now. Conference tournament season is here. It's got me fired up already. It's really, I'm excited for this. Like you said, thank you to everybody who's already tuning in with us. Excited to have you along for the ride. It's going to be a, a blast of a next month in particular, but just going forward, super thrilled to, to be able to have this chance to, to chat with you, Tim, on a pretty regular basis, all things college hoops. Yeah, that's a perfect way of putting it. We need outlets to get our takes out. Yeah, I've been really sitting do. here all year as an ACC guy, and for my background, and we can get into you in a little bit too, Brian, I grew up right in the heart of ACC country in the triangle, as they call it, in North Carolina, which is maybe the Mecca of college hoops because the triangle stands for the Raleigh Chapel Hill Durham area. So you've got NC state, you've got Duke, you've got Carolina. You're right in the middle of a college town. There's not really professional sports in that area outside of the Carolina hurricanes, which had become a little bit of a bigger deal. But generally speaking, if you are living in that area, you live, you breathe college hoops. That's the biggest thing. It's not the biggest college football area. There's obviously some college football, but those three programs are known more for their basketball. So I grew up in that area. Then I go to school in maybe one of the other biggest college basketball cities in the world, which is Syracuse, New York. Went to Syracuse, and now we'll, we can get into it at a later date in time, what is going on with that Syracuse program right now. It's <laughs> not a very proud time to be an alum after we're recording the day after they lost maybe one of their worst losses in the entire Jim Beheim era, getting blown out by 20 plus points again, this time to a Georgia tech team. That is Ooh, terrible. It was so good. bad, Brian, that they played a little bit of man to man yesterday. That, that's when, you know, I mean, Beheim is totally given up and thrown his hands in the air at that point. But yeah, so it's great because college basketball is such a big part of my life. It was from an early age. I've always loved the tournament. It's always my favorite sporting event, like I'm sure many of our listeners. So it's just going to be fun for you and I to just 
sort of fire up the mics and just have fun with this as the tournament comes along. I'm sure we'll be dropping some bonus episodes and our game plan is probably twice a week as we get into it. But now that it's officially March, we might be doing more. Tim, who was your team growing up that you rooted for growing up kind of in the triangle there? Were you a Duke Carolina NC state guy? Tell me about that. You had to pick a team, right? Especially right. you had to pick one in the Carolina Duke. Rivalry. Even I grew up in Pennsylvania and I had to pick a team. There. Yeah, everyone has to have a side. And we're talking the Saturday before Carolina Duke coming up, which is a weird one because they're unranked teams this year. But it's a big one for Carolina. I was definitely a Carolina guy out of the three schools growing up. And a big reason for that was my brother went there and he's nine mm. years older than me. So as he was going there, it was kind of right around the time period where I was getting interested in college hoops. So I'm not a huge allegiance to UNC at this point, especially after I went to Syracuse. But and it was funny because the year that I decided I was going to Syracuse and when I was a senior in high school was when those two teams met up in the final four in 2016. So that was a true like throw my hands in the air. I don't know who the heck I'm supposed to be rooting for right now situation. But now when they play, it's still even a little bit weird. If North Carolina is playing anyone else but Syracuse, I'm probably mm-hmm. leaning towards them and. In the rivalry, I'm definitely pro North Carolina, which I feel like is the good side, to be on. I feel like most fans, not that everyone loves UNC, but most people just hate Duke. So maybe I'm, I'm in I'm, the good graces there. I'm right there with you. I mean, I like I said, even growing up in Pennsylvania, you have to kind of have a team in that rivalry, especially. And I remember vividly right when I was starting to kind of get into basketball, I, I grew up in central Pennsylvania, grew up a Penn State fan, much more a college football town than college basketball. But when I started playing basketball, um, was right at the peak Tyler Hansbro years. And one of my best friends was a diehard North Carolina fan, watched every game. And so I would go over to his house. He had his entire room painted, painted Carolina blue, had the NC UNC logo on his ceiling. And so kind of by association, I watched a lot of Ty Lawson. I watched a lot of Tyler Hansbro. And that was really Probably when I fell in love with college basketball. Um, How could you those, not? Yeah, those teams exactly. were just so good. Yeah. And those rivalry games against Duke, I, I will call that the best rivalry in sports to anybody who's willing to hear me. They're must-watch games every year, even this year when it's two unranked teams. Um, I'm jealous that you were able to kind of grow up in the thick of things down there. Even for me watching from afar, those were just the best of times. Because in my hometown, Penn State basketball – has never been very good. And yet I still have been a Penn State fan my entire life. I went to school at Penn State, graduated from Penn State proudly. Um, I got to broadcast many Penn State basketball games. Our senior year, Tim, I believe we both graduated in 2020. Yep. Um, Great year Penn to State graduate, gonna, by the way. Penn right State in the was going to go to the tournament. Right. At Penn yeah. State was going to the tournament. Lamar yeah. Stevens was going to take us there. And then the tournament doesn't happen. And so my sadness continued. Looks like it might continue this year unless Jalen Pickett truly is the promised man. Um, But that's kind of my story with college basketball. I'm with you on the side of the Duke Carolina rivalry. I am Carolina blue when it comes to that side of things. But yeah, I mean, just have become an even bigger college basketball fan over the last couple of years, getting to work in the sport has just really kind of taken my love for it at the next level. I I currently work as the voice of the Vermont men's basketball team on the radio, a a team that many picked as a Cinderella team last season. I I think maybe a popular pick again this year, if they make the tournament, but it's really been a fun last couple of years as I've been able to become an even bigger diehard for for college hoops than even I was growing up when I, I couldn't get enough of Psycho T and the, the Carolina Tar Heels. Yeah, so you're going to be locked into the America East tournament. What's the yes, dates on that? Because we're firmly into conference tournament season here, which is amazing. First conference game is Saturday. My Vermont Catamounts are hosting NJIT. Um, UVM is the one seed. NJIT is the eight. So the way the America East does it, one through eight, just straight up four teams in the quarterfinals, better seed gets to host. So UVM has home court advantage, which is outstanding for me. I'm done traveling until potentially the, the, the big dance, which is fantastic. I know, uh, Tim, you're, you're in the thick of things traveling right now with, with your squad, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun times right now as conference tournament season starts. It's a Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday schedule in the America East. 
Yeah, I'm covering Syracuse women's basketball and doing radio for them. So kind of a similar role to what Brian is doing for Vermont. And they're in the midst of the ACC tournament as we're recording right now down in Greensboro tournament town, which is sadly not going to be tournament town for that much longer. Um, also, Jim Beheim's favorite city, Greensboro. He's gone on record a couple of times about how he does not like Greensboro at all. I don't know if anyone remembers those funny clips, but I don't think there's anything that he does like. Yeah. At this point, he's he's gone on record about a lot of things that he does not like. But we're not going to get totally derailed on our first episode and dive into Jim Beheim and why he needs to be fired quite yet. We will uh, take some time on that, and and maybe that'll be a later episode, maybe an off-season episode. When Honestly, we could fill probably a whole week of episodes just on good old Bayheim. Yeah. So anyway, uh, now that we've established, though, kind of our background and everything, in that I am a little bit of an ACC homer, the first yeah. thing I want to talk about, and we're going to get into national title contenders later on in this podcast and rank, each of us are going to rank our top four national title contenders as we stand here on March 1st recording which I think is going to be an interesting conversation because it is one of those years. And it feels like we say this every year now where you kind of aren't really sure who the best teams are, how much of a gap there is from that first tier to the second tier. So we'll get into all of that. We'll pick a Cinderella team as well and kind of look ahead to what is coming up in the world of college basketball. But first thing is, Brian, I've just got to sound off on the lack of respect that my ACC is getting this year. And I shouldn't even say my ACC. It is the conference that I grew up around. So maybe I am inherently a little biased there, but you know, usually I'm fine to admit when the ACC is not what it is. And I'm fine to say right now, the ACC is having a down year. That is true. But also it's not as bad as what people are saying. And the disrespect has gotten to the point where I am putting my hands in the air, not understanding how I'm the only one that is thinking this way. It seems like I don't understand how we've gotten to this point. The fact that I'm watching bracketology and I'm watching Joe Lenardi last night and they cut in during halftime of a UNC Duke game or UNC NC state. I should say, or Duke NC state. I'm getting my Raleigh triangle schools mixed up. It was Duke versus NC state last night, a mm -hmm. high level game, which apparently no one cares about because it's not a big 12 or a big 10 game. We can't admit that it's high level between two good teams that I think are playing very good basketball right now. And I enjoyed thoroughly watching the entire game and it's halftime. And Joe Lenardi gets up there in his bunker and he's talking about how Texas Tech and West Virginia and Oklahoma State, these teams that are 5-11 and 11 in their league and 11-12 losses, they're right around 500 overall, are somehow in the exact same spot as a Clemson team that has won 13 games in the league. Clemson is now 13-6, and six, and according to most bracketologies, they are not even really have a chance of making the tournament unless they run the table at the ACC tournament. And I don't know if it's just me, but I'm going crazy trying to make sense of how we can put the Big 12 that far ahead of the ACC. When we did the same thing last year, the ACC was joke, the joke of the entire NCAA last year. They were a one-bid league, all these jokes. And then look what happened in the tournament. Now, I'm not right. saying that that means it's going to happen again this year, but I think we need to start considering the facts of the tournament a little bit more and the fact that a lot of these net rankings and everything are comprised based on what you do in the early part of the season in November, right. which I think everyone is kind of on board of that, but I just don't get why the narrative around the ACC is as down as it is this year. Yeah. Let me kind of try to walk my way through, through this take with you. Cause I, I totally get where you're coming from to me, the ACC and the big 10 this year are all, not all that dissimilar. Um, the difference to me between those two conferences and the big 12 is the top level teams. The big 12 to me has three, maybe four teams that I could see winning a national title. And it is worth remembering that the big 12 has won the last two national championships. It's kind of a big trump card that they've got going on right now. But the ACC and the big 10, they love to talk about the depth. And this year in particular in the ACC, I think that depth conversation has kind of been swept aside unfairly. To your point about Clemson, you do have some top teams like Virginia, Miami. I wouldn't say either of them are necessarily title contenders in my mind. Duke is playing great basketball, though. North Carolina is starting to find their rhythm. 
look out maybe for the heels again, not necessarily predicting they do what they did last year, but there are a lot of depth pieces around the ACC. And we haven't even mentioned Pitt, maybe the most undervalued team, in my opinion, in the country. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Pitt Panthers. So there are a lot of great depth teams in the ACC that if you watch these teams, they are good. They are, in my opinion, by the national kind of narrative, they're, they're hurt by the fact that I don't really see any of their teams going on a national title run when in the Big 12, I see Kansas, Baylor, Texas, and you could throw in either TCU or Kansas State as national title contenders. And so that's why I think you get some of that disrespect and where then that Big 12, you mentioned the Texas Techs, you mentioned maybe an Iowa State, teams that have not had great conference years that are getting more respect than your Clemsons, than your Pitts. It's a hard balance to find. Do you go to a conference that has more teams in it, but has more depth like an ACC? It's a weird conversation to have. I see where you're coming from, but I have to give the Big 12 some credit, man. They do have the last two national titles, and they've got we're, – we're talking about maybe picking four national title contenders at the end of the show. I've got like three Big 12 teams that I want yeah. to put in there. It's hard not to love the Big 12. I Look, I think the Big 12 is awesome. I also think the ACC is not quite as far behind the Big 12 as people think. It's clearly a better league than the ACC. And the ACC, like I said, is clearly having a down year. But what really bugs me is kind of so much of this is formed off of the narrative of losses to some of the top teams in the conference. For example, if Kansas were to lose to Iowa State, if Kansas, like they lost to TCU at home early in the year, the narrative is, holy cow, you cannot take any nights off in the Big 12. It's such a competitive league, right? If UNC loses early in the year to a Pittsburgh team, or if Virginia just lost to Boston College on the road, Now, I'm not saying that's a good loss from Virginia, but the narrative becomes, man, the ACC stinks. How are these top teams losing to these bad teams? Whereas in the Big 12, it almost works in your favor, and it all comes down to bolstering the entire league as a whole. And again, we did this last year. The ACC only sent five teams to the tournament. Three of them were standing in the Elite Eight. They had the best record by far of any conference. They've historically been very good in the NCAA tournament. And I just don't get how we've gotten to the point where we are so convinced that based on how they're playing within their conference, we know that the ACC is that far behind the big 10, the big 12, the SEC, the PAC 12. And right now you look at Ken Palm and stuff, they're ranked as the seventh best league, which is wild. It's wild. And I I guess my overall argument with this is, how can we tell and how can we be so sure about what one league is compared to another league when they're playing strictly once you get into January and beyond pretty much against one another. And it's tough to decipher. And this happens every year in the tournament. There's always one or two leagues that do better than expected and one or two leagues that do worse than expected. And recently the it's big kind 10. of been, yeah, the big 10, <laughs> I was going to say that. I mean, you look, I think it's, they've sent 18 teams to the tournament the last two years, nine in each of the last two years, One has made the Elite Eight. Yeah. So, look, the ACC did very well in the tournament last year when they were considering a historically bad year. They're having a quote-unquote historically bad year again. And I just can't make sense of the fact that Oklahoma State, I go up and down their schedule and look at their resume. Why are they considered a bubble team right now? I'm looking right now. I think they're 16 and 14 overall. They've lost like their last six games. And so much of it is predicated on Well, a November game counts the same as a game that's in January or February. I don't think it should be that way. I think we should be rewarding the teams that are playing their best later in the season. And when you look at the teams that we mentioned in the ACC that aren't getting the respect, I think they deserve Pitt, Clemson. Pitt is a team that is formed of entirely transfers. They're not going to be good right out of the gate. Clemson does have some terrible losses. And whether they should be in the tournament, I think, is up for discussion. I just don't get why... They are so far off the bubble right now. But also, when you look at Clemson, they didn't have P.J. Hall at the beginning of the season, who's their best player. Now he's healthy. Now they're playing better. And they've won some big games in the league that they just aren't getting credit for because the net rankings in the ACC are kind of not really skewed right, in my opinion. The question is, Tim, should we be giving Pitt credit for buying their team? (laughs) <laughs> exactly <laughs> Pitt, they, Wake, are, Miami, I, they all bought a team <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Uh, I love Pitt. I think Pitt are for real. They're a team that I think are going to win at least. A, I think they're a second weekend team. I, that's that's where I think Pitt is this season, which as a Penn State fan pains me so much to say. Um, it, it's kind of tough to really see somebody else having that much success in the state of Pennsylvania, not named Villanova. Different conversation. I think Villanova might be poised for something coming up big here as well. Yeah, they are. But They're playing to well. Kind of from from my perspective on the ACC, how much of this national narrative stems from the fact that North Carolina had such high expectations coming into the year and they have not gotten it done to this point? If they were the team that were kind of carrying the torch for the ACC, had some big non-conference wins, were at the top of the league, this conversation is going very differently. And I think the conversation around Clemson, around Pitt, around some of those bubble ACC teams would be going a lot differently as well. North Carolina playing so poorly to start this season really hurt the conference overall because they haven't had that top dog and they haven't had that top brand leading the charge because that is for a long time what's carried the ACC, the Syracuse, the Duke, the North Carolina brands. They don't have that this year. Yeah, I think that's a totally good point by you because look at Louisville, even Florida State has become kind of a traditional power. Louisville and Florida State are, they're, I mean, outside 200 in Ken Palm, Louisville, we know for sure, but Florida State, they just recently beat Miami and that's like a quad four loss for Miami, which is absurd to think about. Yeah, and they haven't been very good for the past two years now. So I think that's definitely part of it. The big name brands drive our perception of the league and when you see, as a longtime college basketball fan, Clemson, Pittsburgh at the top of the ACC, when you see Boston College defeating some good schools that are considered bigger brands, you immediately think, oh, man, the ACC is bad this year and it's out of whack. And I think you can get a little too skewed based on your opinion of the entire league just by the fact that the top name brand schools aren't carrying the torch at the top of the league. And you hit on something earlier about the depth of the conference and the big 10 has kind of the same type of deal as well. I think also the fact that the ACC has 15 schools by nature kind of lowers its overall product. Like the big 12, every team is considered good because there's not that many teams and anyone can beat anyone is very true in that league. Louisville is just not even a power conference team right now. They're, they're terrible this year. Florida state, terrible. BC has been playing better of late, but everyone's kind of resigned to the fact that they're just BC again, and they're not going to get really any credit. So the fact that there's 15 schools and there's so many schools overall, some are going to have bad years like Georgia tech is having this year and kind of way down the net rankings as a whole. I think. I'm kind of curious from that same standpoint, your thoughts on the big 10 then Tim, because um, they are a a conference, excuse me, that are depth based this year. Um, and it hurts me that I don't think they have a national champion. I'm a Big Ten guy. Like, I, I have ridden. You don't think Purdue? Ten. I mean, we'll get into title contenders. I don't have Purdue in my top four. I'll spoil that part. I think there's people listening right now saying, though, why not Purdue? And I'm kind of with you. I feel like they're just a little bit too young. It's the two freshman guards. And they are yeah. two very talented freshman guards that by the time their careers are done, They might have a ring because by the time they're juniors, maybe even next year as sophomores, you're going to see an experienced duo instead of this one right now that while they're very talented and they've really gotten seasoned throughout the course of this Big Ten schedule, at some point, Zach Eady is not going to put up 25 and 15. There's going to be a game where you need those freshman guards to outplay somebody. And if they're matched up with a Baylor, if they're matched up with an Arizona I just don't see Purdue coming out on top in those games. I think the Baylor guards would get it done. I think there are too many teams that would be able to exploit the Purdue weaknesses. So, no, I don't see Purdue as a national title winner right now. Could they be a Final Four team because Zach Eady is just generational? Yes. But I don't see them hoisting that trophy and winning it all, which then brings me back to the overall thought of the Big Ten. I'm so excited for the Big Ten tournament because there are – 13 teams that have a legit shot. Minnesota is really the only team that I think are kind of done before they get started in this tournament. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be bloodshed. Teams are going to be just carnage throughout the Big Ten tournament because there are so many teams that are fighting for better seating, so many teams that are fighting for potential bubble implications, my Nittany Lions included. Um, It's going to be an absolute war. I'm just curious your thoughts on the conference overall because – 
I see a lot of similarities this year with them in the ACC. Some of their bigger name brands didn't have great seasons. Purdue having a good year. Indiana's had some big moments. But overall, it just doesn't feel like there's as much momentum around the Big Ten headed into March as we've had in previous years when teams are, or when people like us, people like in the national media say, this is the year for the Big Ten. They're finally going to win a win a national tournament. I don't really see anybody fighting for the Big Ten this year, which is exactly why somebody from the Big Ten probably will win it all because nobody's saying it. Yeah, I, I'm with you there, and I think you hit on it. It's the fact, it's almost like Gonzaga in a way where there's been so many years where we've said this is the year for them, and then it hasn't panned out, and everyone's been spurned by it. So when you're coming off the two recent seasons where they've struggled that much in the tournament, which again, I think overall tournament observations on what that means for the conference as a whole can be overrated. Like last year, we probably overrated the opinion of the ACC and it probably shifted from historically bad to good too quickly based on a single elimination tournament that was happening there. So the Big Ten is probably definitely being hurt by that a little bit. But I think you're on to something too where the conversation around the league for a, a long time now for me has not been whether it's... I think it's always been a good league. It just hasn't had the tippy tippy top like some of the other conferences to the point where an obvious national title contender is happening or an obvious number one team. Now Purdue, I thought might be that team. They've kind of struggled recently and, and all along I've been a little skeptical of them just based on even what they did in the tournament last year. It feels like, and they are playing better defense this year. Last year was the defense. That was the big For issue, sure. but yeah. they're just a young team. And I don't like picking young teams to win at all. That's kind of always been one of my things, but yeah, I think it's interesting how the big 10 it's considered the second best conference right now on Kempom and getting back to my whole thing about the ACC. It's the chaos narrative is benefiting the big 10 and the big 12. For some reason, it's not benefiting the ACC. The fact that, everyone is beating anyone and all these games are competitive for the most part. And I don't think this means a ton, but the ACC did win the ACC big 10 challenge. So if you're looking (laughs) at ways to try and evaluate one conference to another, they won by one game this year. It's been historically back and forth. The last edition, rest in peace, the ACC big 10 challenge went in favor of the ACC. So I don't know. I, I feel like we need more, of what the big 12 and the sec is doing where you get a mid-year battle that's a little bit more of a sort of gauge of how good your conference is and we just need more out of conference games maybe later in the year to get a better feel and the fact that we don't have them makes it almost impossible to tell how much worse the acc is than the big 12 because again or big 10 or any of these conferences i keep bringing up the big 12 and it seems like i don't like the big 12 I think it's Tim a very hates good the league. Big Twelve. Yeah, he says right. the Big Twelve stinks. I do. I do have problems with some of the bubble teams and the fact that some of these teams that are near the bottom of the league are still being considered better than Clemson, Pitt. Some of the and that's where the disconnect and the frustration for me comes from as someone that's sort of covering the ACC. But it feels like you know why would the Big Twelve be that much better? than some of the other con or why would the ACC be that much worse than some of the other conferences? It's not like they've been recruiting worse players. It's not like in the tournament, they've been historically bad. They've actually been the opposite. So I just feel like we can't tell generally speaking and to make a conclusion that the ACC is the seventh best league behind the mountain West, who, by the way, did not win a single tournament game last year when Owen four, I just think it's hard to make those conclusions. And I get it's all based off metrics and I'm, I'm the biggest Ken Palm fan around, but I just think we've fallen too much in favor of the net, the metrics and not relying on anything else at this point. To your point about the ACC big 10 challenge, Clemson double overtime win against Penn state, two bubble teams. Maybe Clemson should get the edge there. I mean, that's, that's head to head hard to hard to take that matchup away from the Clemson tigers. So uh, I think you're spot on in the fact that I don't think the ACC is as far behind as a lot of these metrics are showing. Again, I will go to that. The big 12 to me is far and away the top conference. And I do think that because they are so uh, they, they've got depth as well. We, we shouldn't just yeah, say that they're sure. top heavy and only I, I've been close to saying they are only national title contenders and that's why they're good. 
That's that's not really only why the Big 12 is good. They're just hard to win on the road in the Big 12, no matter where you go. And a lot of credit goes to the atmospheres they've created in that conference. Um, it's it's interesting, though. The whole point is, is very, very compelling about the ACC because they have had recent March success. And that's where you can almost, in my mind, I give them an edge over the Big 10 because the Big 10 has not had the recent March success even though for the last handful of years, the Big Ten has been right next to the Big 12 as far as regular season dominance. And so you have to kind of balance that aspect as well. And as much as we can say February or January, February, Izzo, and all that stuff about how he always performs well in March, the national titles at some point have to have a big conversation piece and be a big part of this. And just general March performance, I think you have to give the edge to the Big 12 and the ACC recently, which... Who knows again if that happens this year. But yeah, I think more more Big Ten ACC challenges, more more games like that are just going to be better for the sport and give people like us, A, more things to talk about and B, more kind of bullet points to, to make these snap judgments off of. Yeah, and I also think one of my biggest issues with this whole net ranking is the November games counting the same as games later. I don't know how you change it, but... Like Notre Dame crushed Michigan State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge in November. Notre Dame yeah. stinks. They're right at the bottom. Mike Bray's gone. It's it's a team that's probably given up on their coach and all that. So there's just wonky results in college basketball in November, especially now when so much of it is based on transfer portal now. And, right. I mean, you look at a team like Duke, I think they're playing – legitimately really good basketball right now. I watched their entire game last night. I watched them tear up my Syracuse orange. Like they're a young team that's coming together and they're not even ranked, which seems silly to me when you go 16 to no at home in the ACC and you're not ranked. And I get that's one metric of several others. And Duke hasn't been that good on the road this year, but I don't know. Anyway, I, I probably how badly, how badly does the ACC miss, miss Coach K? Where is Duke ranked right now if Coach yeah. K is on that bench? <laughs> and, you know, the Duke-Virginia game in Charlottesville with that controversial call, that's just not happening to to Coach K. I feel like no. he gets them to review that on the spot, and they, they walk out of there with a the win. But not, I did not expect. Shire, but. I did not expect to be missing Coach K this year, but there was something about the drama that just he created – I miss it. I, I love yeah. the drama of sports in general. And coach K was a lightning rod, man. I miss that guy a little bit. I want him to just show up and kind of stroll in and sit down on the bench. One of these games have Shire looking around what's going on. Why is he yeah. back? But at the same time, I think they're a top 25 team if they have the same record and he is their head coach, not John Shire. There's just something about the respect that he got in his career and the ACC's probably talked about a little differently. If Duke is a top 25, top 15 team right now. All right. That's enough chatter about the ACC out of me. I'm sure <laughs> hopefully maybe when it's, you know, March 25th and the ACC's had a good NCAA tournament, everyone's going to be smiling like they did last year and saying, Oh, maybe we were too hard on the ACC and I'll just be the guy standing back saying, I told you so. But let's let's dive into the main topic of the show today, which is ranking title contenders as we sit here on March 1st. And we hinted on it earlier. There's not a very clear number one this year. It's kind of bounced around. It feels like whoever gets that number one billing is losing. Um, we each have ranked our top four teams, one through four. I guess to build suspense, we can kind of start with the number four and then make our way to our top team going into kind of March here and our top pick to win the NCAA tournament. Let's start with you, Brian. I'm curious because it seems like you've got maybe more big 12 schools than I do overall, based on the conversation we just had. I do have one big 12 school in there, but who is your number four team? My number four team are the Arizona wildcats. Um, I love the size and I know Kirk Reese is a wild card, but man, I love that Kirk Reese is a wild card. I don't know, Tim. There's just <laughs> there's just something about this dude that I would buy in if I'm an Arizona fan on this dude. And I would hate playing against him if I'm anyone in the Pac-12. He is just the lightning rod that I wanna I wanna kind of have my money on. I wanna have a little piece of him come March. I don't want to go all in on the Wildcats. But if I'm choosing four teams that I think could win the national title, to me, at their peak, I love Arizona. I think Tommy Lloyd is truly becoming already one of the top coaches 
in the nation. I think he is that good in just year two in Arizona. And then you talk about their size. I think they match up really well with teams like Purdue. You can go inside to Bellis, who's really good. Obviously, Carice is that guard who puts up a lot of threes, but then uh, Omar Bala, the seven-footers, a just another beast when you have two guys down low that can score the ball at the rate they do. They're not the cleanest defensive team overall, but I like Arizona. There's something about them that just I, I'm willing to buy Arizona right now. And I, I want to preface that my, my four teams that I'm choosing here, if I was choosing a final four, I would not choose these four. But I think these four are all teams that can and are the most likely to win a national title. That's why I'm leading it off with Arizona. Their ball movement on offense is great. Highly efficient team. And while they just lost to Arizona State over the weekend in a pretty wild game, overall, I like their chances to kind of reset, get things going in the Pac-12 tournament. Now's the time for them to turn it on. I know they're not playing their best basketball right now, but I'm still buying the Arizona at their peak with my number four team. So this is interesting because I thought I was really high on Arizona and I was close to putting them in my top four. And I thought that was maybe too hot of a take. And I stayed away from it a little bit. I am totally with you though. The only hang up for me is what you hit on the defensive ratings right now. They're yeah. well outside the top 50. I think last I checked somewhere in the middle of the seventies in Ken Palm. And I can pull that up as we're talking. 57 here, but... defensive adjusted. Uh, okay. Adjusted yeah. Efficiency. So not great. Just, They've hovered around that mark and, you know, there's so much statistical evidence at this point that if you have a defense that's outside top 30 in Ken Palm, your chances of making the final four go down pretty significantly. Last year, we saw a couple of teams. There's been some teams in the past that have made it all the way with bad defenses. Wisconsin comes to mind in 2015 when they had Kaminsky and Decker and that team, they did not win at all, but they didn't have a great defense that year. They probably ended up kind of 35th or 40th in Kempom defense that year. But, you know, that was a conversation around Purdue last year. And I'm a pretty firm believer in the fact that, you know, even I'll bring up another team, Gonzaga, right now. I wanted to get there with them, but they just don't have enough defense. They're 88th in Kempom D right now. And they don't have the guards that they have had in the past. But no I do feel like. You know, I watched them play against St. Mary's. They just picked up a big win. I feel like they're a team that still should be talked about a little bit more in terms of the national title conversation than they are getting right now. But for my number four team, I went with Alabama. I don't love it. And I think for me, there's a drop off after the three that I'll get to. Let's start here. Do you have Alabama in your top four? I don't. They would yeah. be that number five team for me. They, they, they were the team with Arizona that I had right there. Um, if I were picking a final four, I would slot St. Mary's into this group. Kind of they're that team that I love to make a run that teams aren't, or people aren't really talking about Alabama, everything off the court for me I agree. is a big deal. It's a big deal. And uh, we can talk all about how great they are on the court. Brandon Miller, lottery pick, fantastic on court talent, but the way they have just handled that situation for me, Tim has Alabama. I I'm nervous. If it was just about the on-court stuff, they would be in my four, no doubt about it. Yeah, I'm. that's where I'm at, too. And part of me feels like I try to visualize who's the national champion at the end of the year. What's the storyline around? Was it destiny all along? Like Kansas last year. I, I picked them in my bracket, and it was kind of one of those picks where you were trying to find a team that is an outlier. And that's how I approach the bracket typically when you're in a big pool is you don't like to pick the Gonzaga or the obvious national champion, because then if they lose, you pretty much have no chance. And the weird thing about these NCAA tournament pools, as they've gotten bigger, is it really matters. Just did you get the national champion? So I always try to pick a team that's kind of a dark horse national title contender, but also makes sense. And Kansas last year, you know, when they won it, it was like, yeah, Bill Self deserved a second national title. That makes sense. If Alabama were to win it this year, it's just, it, it doesn't feel like it would make sense, right? It just feels wrong. It feels dirty. And I'm not quite all the way there with their on-court product anyway. I think they're just a little bit too streaky for me to trust them as one of the elite teams in college basketball. Like, they got blown out by Oklahoma in that SEC Big 12 Challenge that we talked about earlier. It's games like that, and, you know, this was a while ago, but that UNC four-overtime game earlier in the year, 
I forgot. About I almost that. have like scar tissue from that because that was just like the worst basketball game. It was four overtimes, which made it thrilling in a way, but they were not putting out a good offensive product in that game. So I'm not quite there on Alabama, but I had to put a team at four and I, I just really couldn't find anyone better than them. You could say Purdue, but I, we talked about it earlier. I, I just think they're too inexperienced. So who'd you have as your third team though? I just kind of find it funny how much you hate one of your picks. You, you just yeah. spent the last 30 <laughs> seconds destroying Alabama. I did. I mean, literally said nothing positive about them, but the <laughs> positives are are pretty obvious. They, they clearly have a very good defense. And like you said, the on-court product of Brandon Miller is tremendous. It just, it bugs me that I put them in there because of how they've handled the situation has bugged me as a college hoops fan. And yeah. I don't really want to be rooting for them as a program right now. So I almost feel slimy putting them in there, but I, I just it. couldn't find a fourth team. It's hard to find even four teams in general. They're just, I, I, cause like I'm going down the top 25, I'm going down the net I'm going down Ken Palm and say, don't really love them. Don't really love them. Yeah. I really kind of hate them. Um, and so <laughs> it's kind of like, I, I'm struggling to find teams that I'm confident in. And so it's time for me to go back to the Big 12. They're the the conference that has proven it to me. And there are a couple head coaches in particular that have proven it to me as of late. Baylor is my number three team. I'm going back to Scott Drew um, with, uh, again, maybe it's something about me and I love pretty offense because my top two picks right now have both been, or my first two picks, Arizona and Baylor, great offense lackluster defense. Baylor has struggled on the defensive end, but their three guards are the best trio of guards of any team in the country. Flagler, Cryer, and George just put the ball in the hoop. And I want those three guys as somebody to back them. Um, I want those three guys on my team in March. Now, I think defensively, the re-addition of Jonathan Chamochachua is massive. His ability to organize them on the defensive end and just make them a better team in ball screen coverage in particular could go a long way. And if you have those three guards get hot, I do not want to play Baylor in March. I am pretty confident, right? I like Baylor a lot. They're a team that I was, I was pretty comfortable putting them in my top four. I've got them as my third most likely team to win it all. Yeah, you just picked two of my favorite coaches in college basketball right now. And I don't think I'm out on a limb by saying that, but Scott Drew and Tommy Lloyd. And I do value coaching a ton in March. That's part of the reason why I couldn't quite get there with Tennessee. I don't think Rick Barnes is a bad coach, but he hasn't really done it in March recently. So that and they did just lose Sakai Ziegler last night for what could be an extended period of time. We don't know as we're recording right now, but that was really unfortunate to see from one of their better players, one of their better defenders. He went down with what looked like a knee injury and it was kind of non-contact in a scary moment. So maybe we'll get more clarification on that, but I couldn't put them in my top four. I didn't have Baylor in my top four. My three team is a, a big 12 team though. My favorite league and in, in all of America apparently. And that is Kansas as my third team. I could have put them higher. And I think really one, two and three are pretty much interchangeable for me and we'll dive into it more, but I think it does bear saying again just how remarkably consistent Kansas has been after losing a good chunk of the roster from last year and Bill Self bringing this team to what is already a share of the Big 12 title. They'll play Texas this Saturday. If they win that game, they lock up the Big 12 title or Texas could lose the game before that and they'd lock it up anyway. So they're a really switchable team top to bottom. I think they're not doing it in the typical Kansas way because they don't have that quote unquote big that really impresses you, but they're doing it in the best league in America. I'll say it the best league in America, the big 12. And they, Look have at won, us. they they've won 15 quad one games this year, which yeah. the, the net rankings and everything has not been around for a while. And I have bones to pick about it, but no one has ever won 15 quad one games. And I think they've, already shattered that record by a good bit. And there's still some time for them to pick up some wins. They're 15 and five in the first quadrant. So you got to give Kansas credit. I think they're clearly in a tier above Alabama as well for me. And Mm -hmm. I think these top three teams are really interchangeable, but I have them three. I'm assuming you have Kansas somewhere in your rankings. I do. Um, I don't have them at two though. So they, they might <laughs> that, be looming. Um, that, that leaves I, one I, spot. <laughs> I echo everything you've said about Kansas. I do think Bill self is the best coach in America in particular, Tim, his ability to adjust in game with his ball screen defense. 
I did not realize as a as a pretty casual basketball fan growing up just how important your ball screen coverage is in how you approach a game plan until I started working with with a Division One men's basketball team. Just being around, I'm very fortunate to work with a great coaching staff at the University of Vermont who really give me great insight and have taught me a lot about basketball. They spend so much meticulous time planning their ball screen coverages. And when I watch Kansas and I watch Bill Self, they never get it wrong. And even when they are not quite getting it right or teams are exploiting how they cover ball screens, they adjust in game. What they did in that game against Baylor in the fog, when Baylor came out on fire with those three guards, Kansas's ability to adjust in that game by how they were defending those dribble handoffs and ball screens, that was the game that sold me on Kansas, not to totally spoil what happens at the top of my list? Yeah, there. sure. Well, who's your number two team? Because I think we we know who your number one is at this point. So I'm leaving out one of one of the teams you probably have in your top three. My number two team is Houston. I think that the Houston Cougars defend better than anybody else in the country. I love their defense. They have playing. They play at such a high level on that end of the floor. They're probably the most balanced team in the country. The reason I have Kansas over Houston is like you mentioned, those quad one wins for Kansas. I think it is so vital for teams to be playing really difficult opponents down the stretch, which is partially why I love the Big 12 and partially why I think they have had, as a conference, the last two national champions. They have tested themselves late in the season, going on the road, tough environments. To me, that gives Kansas the edge over Houston. Houston is probably the more balanced team. They do have big wins throughout the course of this season. Their two losses are a little suspect, but I'm not looking at them too much. To me, it is all about the Kansas big wins that Houston just is not going to have an opportunity to play in this season. Of course, they're going to the Big 12 soon, which should help them, I think, going forward. But to me, I, I like that Kansas has been tested more recently. That gives them just the edge over Houston. But for me, it was really close to a coin flip between Kansas and Houston for my one and two spots. Yeah, Houston's two losses, by the way, are Alabama at home and Temple at home. The Temple loss is really the Temple bad. Loss. Temple is yeah. one fourteen in Ken Palm. That was definitely a disappointing loss. But they've lost two games all year. I'm with you. I have, I have Houston as my two team which we'll get into my number one team, which is not on your list. So that'll make for a fun conversation. Yeah. But sticking with Houston for a second here, I think we know now that Kelvin Sampson's style translates to March, right? Yep. I mean, they, they yep. made the final four two years ago. They were a five seed last year. They made the elite eight. This is a team that you kind of know what you're getting, no matter who is on the roster. They're going to crash the glass. They're going to have those athletes that are long, that are frustrating to deal with in terms of you playing offense against them, they're switchable, all those things that you look for in a team that kind of translates to March. And they now have, this is their third straight year of having a top 10 offense on Ken Palm and a top mm -hmm. 10 defense, very balanced, fifth best offense, fifth best defense on Ken Palm right now. It's a little different from years past for Houston, because I think there's less experience on this year's roster but you still have Marcus Sasser, who's that guy that that kind of runs your engine and is the leader that every good team needs. And you have more talent probably than you've seen out of Houston in the past two years with picking up Jerese Walker and some of these big time recruits that they have. So I really I'm still very high on Houston and the final four is in Houston this year. It feels like kind of a team of destiny vibe to it. Maybe last final so, four for Jim Nance, his alma yeah, mater. Right. Houston. People That's are a good saying. point. Yeah, so uh, I, I would be surprised, honestly, if they don't make a pretty sizable run in March at this point. Whether they win it all, maybe that would surprise me a little bit, but I think you have to put them in that top tier right now in terms of national title contenders. And there's people listening right now that are probably saying, oh, Houston's a fraud, but I just we can't have that conversation anymore when they've been as consistently good as they have been in the last two NCAA tournaments. Like I've been that guy the last couple of years, Tim, who's been out on Houston. I was the Houston hater the last couple of seasons. I've been proven wrong twice. I, it's one of those, like, just you've proven me wrong that many times. Now it's on me to adjust. And it means they'll probably lose early this season and I'll be yeah. just Never correct. That's I love Marcus Sasser though. Yes. For me, if if you're drafting players to have on your team in a in a March Madness tournament, Marcus Sasser is damn near one overall for me. As far as players I want on my team, an experienced point guard can make a big shot, great defender. 
Marcus Sasser could be that dude. And I think people have kind of forgotten about him. A lot of people are talking about other players for good reason, like a Zach Eady. You, you've got Jaime Jaquez on UCLA, who I, I wonder if you might be talking about them here in a moment. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's, Maybe. it's <laughs> to me, Marcus Sasser is belonging right in that conversation for the guy I want, in my, want on my team in my locker room for, for a potential March run. Yeah, so UCLA is my number one team. Now, you yeah. don't have them in your top four. You do have a Pac-12 team in Arizona at number four, and they're going to play each other this weekend. So that'll be Can't an intriguing wait. game to watch. It is at UCLA, so they'll have the advantage of the home crowd on their side and everything. But for me, my big three ingredients in terms of picking a national title team are pretty simple. One, experience, I think you need. And that's what ruled out Purdue and some of these other teams that just were on the edge but didn't make it quite for me. And and that's why even a team like Duke or someone, it's tough to see them winning four or five, six games in a row when you're relying so much on freshmen. Just historically speaking, you go back and look at the recent national champions. They've all been inside, going back to 2016, inside the top 130 in Kempom's experience ranking. Baylor was seventh two years ago. Kansas was actually the least experienced team to win a national title since 2015 when they were 128th in the experience metric last year. UCLA is not overwhelmingly good in that metric. They're 106 in the Kempom experience metric, but they've got guys like Jaime Hawkes, Tiger Campbell that qualify in the Aaron Kraft. I don't even know how they're they're still in college. Yeah, in playing Tiger college. Campbell and Jaime. I, you're seven for them, right? God, yeah, be right. It, so you can make all those jokes, but those guys are what you need to win an NCAA tournament, and you need good guard play. They have it. And then another metric that I look at in terms of my ingredient of trying to find a national title winner, you have to have good defense, and that's what held me mm-hmm. back on Arizona and even Baylor, who made your list. And I think they could still win it all I'm not ruling it out but when you look at the stats again I think defense is a big indicator of can you make the final four they have the second best defense right now on Ken Palm UCLA so you check that box and then finally for me coaching is really important and that's kind of what held out Tennessee for me Rick Barnes his narrative in March might be overblown but it's a narrative for a reason they haven't made the final four I don't think he's made a final four since way back with Texas so UCLA and Mick Cronin, they were in the final four in his first year as an 11 seed. These guys, some of the guys that are still on that team were on that final four team. I think Mick Cronin's doing a great job and he's somehow brought UCLA to kind of the pinnacle of the sport already. And I think what is now year three for him. So that's the case for UCLA. I just think those three big boxes, experience, defense, coaching, they check all three more than any other team. So that's why I put them number one. Before I before I dive too much into my apparent UCLA hate, because I don't have them in my top four or really even my top five, I would put Alabama ahead of them too. Quick question for you, Tim. Do you know who the number one team is in Ken Palm's D1 experience metric? I, I'm guessing it's probably some mid-major team. Vermont? My, my Penn State Nittany Lions are the most, oh, okay. the most okay. experienced team. Wow. Maybe, a, maybe a March run coming. I yeah, don't know. yeah, maybe it's an indicator. No, I, look, I think... Again, maybe I'm overvaluing the metrics a little bit, yeah. but experience is something that you can't really quantify it in a in a stat per se. I feel like UCLA even should be higher than 106 in experience, right? Their top to right. bottom roster has some freshmen on it, so it weighs it down. But when you've got Tiger Campbell bringing the ball up, it's almost mm-hmm. like Kihei Clark at Virginia or someone where it just puts you in good hands and brings a level of consistency to your program. Right. And so to to kind of give you my my perspective on UCLA, because I agree with everything you said. I think Mick Cronin's a great coach. Defense absolutely wins in March. Good point guard play, vital in March. Tiger Campbell does that. Jaime Jaquez is a classic go-to guy that can go get you a bucket down the stretch when you need one. For me, I come back to their four losses. And maybe it's I I've I've happened to watch like three of those four losses for the entirety and just haven't caught UCLA on their best night. So maybe that's just when I've happened to watch them. I haven't seen that great basketball. But I remember vividly watching the the two early season losses in a neutral site against Illinois and Baylor. And I just came away from those two games and I was ready to be out all the way on UCLA. I was I was ready to be done. And it was early season, overreaction city, no doubt about it. I probably am putting too much weight on that even now. 
But I watched those two games against Illinois and Baylor, and I just didn't see it. I didn't have that, and this is a totally non-metric thing to say, they didn't have that feel to me of a national champion. Didn't pass the eye and recent, test. <laughs> they didn't pass the eye test. And I, yeah. I, I, maybe that's just me. Because right now they're playing much better basketball. They're playing way better than Arizona is at the moment. And I talked about that with Arizona. It scares me a touch that they're not playing great right now. Meanwhile, UCLA has reeled off eight straight wins. They've got the big one coming up this weekend at home against Arizona. But they also have those two conference losses against Arizona and USC, the two next best teams in the conference. And so I think that UCLA is a great team. I just wonder in March, do they have the firepower to keep up with a Baylor? Do they have that firepower to keep up with a Kansas? Can they score the ball against Houston? Um, maybe they win those games ugly. They're kind of that muck it up team. Mick Cronin's a great defensive coach and they can make games ugly and win ugly. But for whatever reason, they're just not doing it for me. And, and I wish I had better analysis than that, but I just struggle to go in on UCLA right now Maybe I'm wrong there, and maybe I'm a UCLA hater for that. And if they are able to win handily this weekend, win comfortably against Arizona this weekend at home, maybe I flip-flop them in my rankings, sliding UCLA up to four, bumping Arizona out. But I just I can't get there yet with UCLA. I'm close. They've brought me back in, but I just can't get over the hump with them. Yeah, and it's funny because I think we all have one or two of those teams every year, right? The yep. team that you always feel like you're watching them on their worst day. And that's kind of Alabama a little bit for me this year. I, I brought up that UNC game early in the year that I just sort of have scar tissue from. They just didn't look like a national title contender in that game. And even Oklahoma, I was watching that game closely and I was like, man, I mean, how can we sit here and, and put them in the national title tier after what they did on the road against an Oklahoma team that's nothing special? Yep. But it, I guess you could chalk it up to a fluke. And if you get hot at the right time, and I do think UCLA is a much better team than they were in the early season. Absolutely. You, you said that, it, you know, they've won eight in a row. They're trending up. You want a team that's on the an incline going into March. So they just checked the most boxes for me. But I, like I said, UCLA, Houston, Kansas, that's my one, two, three in that order. You could make a case for putting Kansas one in UCLA three though. And I'm totally fine with that. And And you have Kansas one. So you know, I think that's arguably the the top three for me in any particular order. And I get you had Baylor, you had Arizona. I don't think there's a huge drop off even between. So, you know, we haven't mentioned Marquette, some teams like that. There's just not a big drop off this year from nope. one to the bottom. And that's going to make for a fun tournament. probably. Uh, yeah, I think there are legitimately 10, 10 teams that could win a national title. Like I do love Marquette. I love the way they defend. I think Texas is a team that have some great yeah. guards that can really score. Um, and again, I like that they're going to be tested down the stretch run of the season. I just think that gives the Big 12 a bit of an advantage that you're playing so many intense games down the home stretch. And I said it earlier, I don't think this team is a national title team, but I love, love, love St. Mary's. The St. Mary's yes. Gales yeah. are a team that I would not be shocked at all if they make the final Put four. Put it this way, if – if they if their name was Duke with the exact same metrics, I think I would have said they're in my top four because their they metrics the and everything are great. And they seem like that team that is going to be the computer darling in the tournament that there's going to be an article from like 538 that's like, this is why you should have St. Mary's in your final four and no one will have it. And I can see that already. And maybe I'll fall into that trap, quote yep. unquote, a little bit because the brand name is going to scare people off. But I'm totally with you. I think St. Mary's is a really good team. I got to go see St. Mary's this year. They kicked Vermont's ass. They dominated the Catamounts. And Vermont has turned into a really good team. But UVM went out on this California road trip where they actually went 0-3. And going into St. Mary's, man, Randy Bennett had his team clicking. And it was early in the season. They're a different team then. Aiden Mahaney, their star freshman, was not even starting yet at that point. Still coming off the bench early on in the year. But Logan Johnson is a dog defensively. He's going to lock people up. They've got size. They've got these two Australians who do just shoot the lights out. Alex Dukas is a fun player who shoots over 40%. Aiden Mahaney, their freshman, is a stud who shoots over 40% from three. And then Kyle Bowen, they rarely use him as a wing. I think the Aussies could kind of 
put people on notice this March. I love the likes of Kyle Bowen and Alex Dukas, two Australians who I think could be some Cinderella, not Cinderella because St. Mary's is very good. Yeah. They could be some darlings though, that people, the casual fan, they've never heard of these guys from St. Mary's. I think St. Mary's could be that team when you're watching one shining moment right in the final four, they could have some big clips in that to me. For sure. I'm going to have them pretty far in my bracket. I already know it now on um, depending yeah. on kind of how the draw shakes out and all that, but all right, you, you mentioned the word Cinderella there. Before we get out of there, let's go off the board and pick a quote-unquote Cinderella team because we're getting to that point of the year where, you know, there's going to be one. It was St. Peter's last year. Who are you looking at at the mid-major level right now that looks like a team that could make a surprising run in March? It depends how far kind of deep down I go on the mid-major list. There there are a lot of teams that I really like. Um, A couple of them that, again, I'm a little biased for, of the teams that I've seen firsthand. I, I do enjoy getting to watch some of these teams. Um, so uh, one team that is going to be on that 14, 15 line. Um, and I'm going to put, put my Vermont Catamounts to the side for a moment because you can I'm, pick Vermont. I mean, I'm not going, legit, I, you know, a contender. Right, I'm not going category. to pick Vermont here for a variety of reasons. Um, but one team that I saw Vermont beat this year, that I still think could make a Cinderella run Colgate, the Colgate Raiders shoot the ball at a very high clip offensively. Um, Matt Langle, their head coach is an offensive genius. They have two six foot 11 and seven foot big men who can score the ball down low. Um, and they've got the part that's scary, but also kind of fun for me. It's, it's kind of like, Ooh, do I, do I actually go with this? They have a true freshman point guard. And that is, I know it's a scary thing to talk about, Tim. A a true freshman point guard in March, Oliver Lynch Daniels um, has been, or excuse me, not Lynch Daniels. It's uh, Braden Smith, the true freshman, has been very good. It worries me to pick him in March as a true freshman, but I like in general Colgate's ability to shoot the three ball. They lead the nation shooting over 40% as a team from three, 53rd in offensive adjusted efficiency, Their defense is not great. They're not going to defend at a high level. But if they get hot, their shots start going. They get a little confidence, a little swagger. I think Colgate could be a fun Cinderella pick. I really like where they're sitting, especially if they can kind of sneak onto that 14 line. Yeah, as a Syracuse alum who has watched Colgate beat Syracuse now two consecutive years in the Dome, which they hadn't done in 50 years previous to that, I'm with you. I I, I think Colgate, and they've done in the tournament, you know, they've challenged Tennessee when Tennessee had Grant Williams. Right. Forget. I think last year they they made a little bit of a splash. I'd have to go back and look to rejog my memory, but I I like that pick a hundred percent. And tight game against Wisconsin last year in, in the tournament. Right. They were they yeah. were a fourteen seed, but that was a close game. Yeah, and that's the case when they played Tennessee as well. So I mean, honestly, they're they're probably more of a thirteen seed in my book. The way that they're playing this year, maybe even higher than that. We'll see how it all shakes out. But for my Cinderella team, I'm kind of copying out and picking two teams. I think whichever team wins the CAA conference, the colonial, Mm -hmm. and that's pretty much down to Charleston, which is the two seed, which at one point was ranked this year, had the nation's longest winning streak. And Hofstra is the one seed. And again, I I don't get how Charleston right now is not considered an at-large team. They're on the outside of ESPN's bracketology behind a team like Oklahoma state. And the teams that I ranted about earlier, even though they're going to win 30 games, which bugs me because what more is Charleston going to do to deserve an at-large bid than winning 30 games and, and being ranked at one point this year and challenging UNC and, and playing a decent schedule for what they can play? I, I get that they're not going to play a tough schedule just naturally because it's the Colonial, but I think they deserve to be an NCAA tournament team. I'm pretty high on them, and I think Hofstra is also on an eight- or a nine-game winning streak as of us recording right now. So that's going to be a fun tournament to track, and I'm almost using this topic as just a way to – give a little love to the CAA because they have two very good teams right now. I'm with you. The CAA has been fun. I got to see UNC Wilmington, another team that beat Vermont earlier this year. They were playing great basketball at one point. As far as conference tournament season goes, the CAA is going to be a great one to watch. I'm just glad we've got win or go home basketball going on right now, Tim. I can flick on my TV at night, find ESPN plus, and there's going to be a win or go home game. It's, it's the best time of year. I mean, that type of stuff is is what we dream about back in November, and we're getting it right now. You mentioned the CAA. I think if you're watching another 
tournament that is a must-tune-in tournament. The Ivy League tournament is going to be bananas. They wrap up their regular season coming up this weekend. Only the top four teams get in that tournament in their Ivy League regular season standings. It's going to be bonkers just this weekend even as they finish up seeding. And one final uh, tournament uh, mid Mid-major adjacent that I'd like to shout out is the MAC. The MAC this year has been electric. Ball State has been a massive surprise. Toledo and Akron are both teams that I could see going on deep tournament runs. You should try to check out at least one or two of the MAC tournament games because that tournament is going to be similar to some of the top tournaments. It's going to be a bloodbath. Every single night, there's going to be just a war going on. If you haven't checked out any mid-major basketball this year, now is the time to do it. I promise you. You won't be disappointed because these players, they're not NBA talents like you get in the Big 12, ACC, Big 10, but they care just as much. And if it, not it's more, why because we love college hoops, right? I mean, if you're this deep into the squad, to it. yeah, it's, it's basketball careers that are trying to be continued. And that's why I love the sport. It's why I've fallen in love with mid-major basketball. Now's the time to check that out. If you're, if you haven't watched any mid-major hoops this year. Yeah. I mean, I was watching Detroit mercy last night, a little bit. Antonio Davis goes for 38. He's now a couple points shy of pistol Pete's all-time record. Like Detroit mercy is not that good of a team. They're not going to make the tournament, but that's college hoops in a nutshell. Right. I mean, that's what keeps us intrigued and, we're going to be covering it all, all season long. I guess we're almost done with the season, but this is when it gets really intriguing from this point on. And, you know, we'll be all over the NCAA tournament, all over these conference tournaments. So subscribe today if you haven't already. Anywhere you get podcasts, the Just College Hoops podcast. You can also find us on YouTube. We'll be kind of putting out some more information on our Twitter page as we go along here. And I'm thinking two two times a week here, Brian, and we'll probably reconvene early next week. I think once we get into the tournament, we'll we'll do more than that. But maybe a Monday Thursday routine is something we've talked about. We'll kind of play it by year, but for sure we'll be in your feed a good bit as we uh, get rolling into March here. So thanks for listening to the very first episode today, and we'll catch you guys next week on the Just College Hoops podcast.